Welcome to Testify It, where we are sharing the love of Christ and building people up through testimonies and teaching. Our passion is to share how God is working in people's lives today. My name is Rhonda Wagner, and I'm a founder and board member at Testify It. Today I have the pleasure of sharing with you a testimony from Pastor Michael Dickman. Michael started out his life in the church. He tried to be good enough and live according to religion. As he moved into adulthood, he got caught up with New Age movements. However, after meeting some people who had a relationship with Jesus and looking into the Bible, his life changed. Hi, I'm Bruce Fowler, a member of uh, the Board of Directors at the group called Testify It. Testify It's a, a, a Christian organization whose vision is to find, locate, uh, identify, give out, and perhaps even exploit testimonies. And uh, oh, today I have found a testimony for you. I'm really excited about this testimony because I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine, Michael Dickman. I usually call him Pastor Michael Dickman, but uh, he doesn't look like, act like, sound like, feel like your normal pastor, but I'm not sure what that means, except that what he is is a normal, real person that a lot of people identify with. He doesn't come across with the holier-than-thou pastor kind of uh, feel, because he's Jesus's kind of pastor. Anyway, Michael, hi, I want to have hey, people Bruce. hear from you. Good. Um, I'm interested in your testimony, partly because I'm excited about the result of it. I've gotten to know you over the last couple of years, and I see the result of what Jesus has done in your life, and I thought, where on earth could he have come from with that? And uh, we're about to show some of that, or uh, tell that story. Um, why don't we just start by talking to whoever happens to be listening to this, Um uh, who you are, where you started, who, where were you raised, what kind of a person were you, what happened, start wherever you'd like. Oh, I was raised in Maple Shade, New Jersey. I was brought up um, in a moralistic home. Moralistic meaning that um, taught to be a good person, mm. taught that in order to go to heaven, you had to be a good person. And even within, I was brought up in the Lutheran church and even mm. there um, believed and had those beliefs throughout the time that I was raised in the Lutheran church as well. So, so church church has really been a big part of your background then. Is that, yes, is that um, what shaped you? When I was, when I was confirmed and when my sister was confirmed, they, my parents came to me and they said, we don't want to go to church anymore. We've decided that we both work hard and we would rather stay home and we would rather sleep in. So my sister had chosen to do that. And every week I would get up and I would get dressed and I would walk to church. Why? What was the difference? I mean, that seems strange to me that your parents led you into this and you follow that. And yet you weren't following your parents at that point. Because they'd had enough, or at least what they thought was enough. You didn't. Why? What was the difference? The thing was, was that I was very involved with church. I was an acolyte. I was a lay reader. Um, I even preached my first sermon at that at that church. And I'm presuming at a very young age. Yes, I was 16 when Goodness. I preached my first <laughs> okay. sermon. And they were preparing me for ministry and seminary um, at that point. But um, when when I would 
speak from the pulpit. Uh, I would give scripture. And then when people came to me and said, wow, you spoke that scripture really eloquently. <laughs> I would think in my head, yes, I did. I did speak very well. And that was an eloquent. It was The thing was, it was there was more self involved in the matter and not God. You know, I wasn't doing it for the Lord. I was doing it for my own goodness and my own morality as far as that went. Isn't that what most of religion is about? I mean, that's the idea I get from your parents who wanted, you said they prepared you for seminary. So they had a vision greater than just you. Yeah, the, and yet it. Yeah. Okay, the church was me. trying to get me ready for seminary. And um, like I said, the whole being good, you know, that was, that was what I was, that was what I was following and what I was believing at that point. So, and what's wrong with that? Isn't that what, isn't that what God and everything is all about? Just being good and not being bad anymore. The problem is, is that the, the word religion is the word relingari, which is a Latin word meaning to work to get to God. And God is not a religious God. God so, isn't religious. No, God is a <laughs> relational God. And, I believed at that point that I was supposed to work and get to heaven and I was supposed to do good things and that God is the God in the sky that has these scales there. And then when I got there, you take my good stuff and put it on the scales to the bad stuff. And, and then later on, I found out biblically that that is not the God that, that I, that I worship today. That sounds like a strange new teaching. Because what you're describing is where, what 90% of us have been taught, I suspect. So what's the contrast to that? If he doesn't, so he doesn't necessarily need us to be good or he's not interested in getting rid of our bad. Can you unpack that a little? What do you mean by that? There, there came a point where I got sort of tired and fed up with the religion. And I went into the world. Yeah. And I went into the world and I was in art school. They wanted me to go to seminary and they, I don't want to go to seminary. I don't want to go to seminary. Why not? Because I want to be an artist. I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to be an artist. So they were like, well, you can be an artist and a pastor. <laughs> well, no, I don't want to do that. I want to be an artist. One of the sermon that I did, I actually used some of my artwork in the sermon to teach people, but so I wound up running away from that whole, what I thought was at the time a, a huge mess. And I went to art school and there I met a bunch of people who had different religious beliefs. And we would sit around the table at art school and we would talk about each person's beliefs. And, and they had different ranges of people. You had people that were Christians. You had people that were Scientologists. You had people that were even um, part of the Aryan Nations. There was one guy there who was part yeah. of the Aryan Nations. He was a skinhead. And um, there were people all around the table, and they would talk about their different beliefs. And we would sit there, and we didn't – I don't know. We were probably judging each other in our <laughs> hearts and stuff, but we would listen to one another. And that's when I started to search. And hmm. through that searching, got involved in uh, the New Age movement at that point and what yeah you say that the new age movement as if most of the rest of us dummies really understand all of what that's about T tell me what you mean by new age how new is it really 
And what does it mean by New Age? What what does that term mean now? Well, in Philadelphia and the New Jersey area that I lived in, Maple Shade being across the bridge from Philadelphia, there were many at the time when I was in school, many different uh, stores and shops where New Age stuff was pushed. And New Age is about energy and about positive energy and negative energy and that when we die, we become energy. And what would happen was, I would go to these stores and they would have different gemstones and crystals. And then you would take the the rock in your hand and you would hold that rock. And sometimes it would give you a negative energy and sometimes it would give you a positive energy. And I began to read New Age books. And the New Age, New Age books actually have scripture in them. They use the book of Proverbs quite a bit in a lot of those books as well. Um, the Even... Even at the conventions where you go to a new age convention, uh, one of the things they do is they have you focus on your spirit animal and what your spirit animal might be. And then when you're done with that, you actually pray and welcome that spirit animal to come into your heart, a lot like Christians do. Okay, this whole thing about spirit animal, let me, let me, can we back up just, to, just a bit? It sounds like when you're talking about new age, you're talking about a, a whole religion. I mean, you've, you've got, you're talking about seminars. You're talking about conventions. You're talking about bookstores that have to do with it. Uh, it sounds like a whole complex belief system. Uh, is it, it's not a Christian thing, but you say they use scripture. Help me understand. That can be confusing to people who. Yeah, it's have, not, it is not a Christian religion or, or Christian faith, but they still bring things into what they're, what they, what they teach as well as, because there's, as a, as a man of God over the past 17 years and a man who studied the Bible, I've learned there's power in scripture. There's power in the word mm -hmm. of God. And, um, the fact that they use that you know, I'm sure that there's no power when they use it, but because they're not saved and they don't have a relationship with the Lord, but they understand that the word of God has power in it. But they, along with the Proverbs that they use in the Bible, they also use Proverbs from other faiths and other Asian, Asian religions and different things as well. A moment ago, you used the, the term, the word of God. Are you using that the same as Scripture? Is that what you mean by the Word of God as Scripture? Scripture is the Word of God. Uh, Revelation 19.10, it says that Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And um, it also says in John 1.1 1, 1, that he is the Word, the Word is with God, and the Word is God. So we know that Jesus is the Word, <clears throat> that the words that are spoken in the, wor in the, in the Bible are the word of God inspired through the Holy Spirit. And there's power in those words because I've seen what the word of God can do over the years, especially when I was a pastor working with Alzheimer's residents. Hmm. Okay, so you you started your life being filled with, at least exposed to, what you're calling the word, meaning scripture, that you're also filled with a lot of religion, which, as I hear you talk, I'm beginning to see isn't the same as Christianity at all. Uh, but, and part of that deception, because you were curious or searching, led you into New Age. Okay, you were starting to talk about uh, spirit animals. Uh, 
that's a little confusing. Are you talking about real life little animals that you can pet and pick up, or furry little things, or it's a more of a feed? spiritual thing? I I believe so are now. Are these an imagination or what? No, I I had a friend of mine who was in Brownsville, Florida, who was involved in in the New Age movement as well at one point, and she's a pastor's wife now, and. She invited this spirit into her life, and it wasn't an animal, but she said it would appear to her as like a Marilyn Monroe. And she was working in California at the time. Um, she was a waitress there. And also, I was involved with a lot of people who were into black magic and different things when I was in high school. So they also experienced these things as well. But from what I've experienced from it is that... Um, the people wind up inviting these things into their lives and the thing will bless them, which I believe at this point it's a demon that they're actually inviting in. So it's not an imagination like uh, an imaginary friend. It actually has a personality, a being. Uh... No, there is a spirit realm and the Bible says that and it's very clear that there are angels and that there are demons and there mm -hmm. is a lot of power behind that demonic realm where people are involved in different demonic things. And these things would come. And I remember a friend of mine in high school who had something like that, and he would get very sick after doing some of the things that he was doing with the black magic and with like doing spells or doing making potions and different things like that. And the thing would actually drain him and he would look very sickly for a matter of days. So there's like a give and take that comes from that relationship. But going back to the pastor's wife, eventually the thing tried to kill her at one point and push. Um, it was trying to push a China, I think it was like a China closet or something on top of her and kill her. And she had to, um, tried to escape that. And eventually her relationship with Jesus Christ, she got to close those doors and she became a pastor's wife and she went on with her life. You just mentioned a key phrase, yes. her relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes. The thing that I'm beginning to see, and, and you may have to tell me more about this, is that there are a lot of ideas, a lot of things that are real that seem uh, scary, uh, spooky, like like uh, demons and angels that most of us haven't seen, um, spirit animals and things that are real but that we can't see, taste, smell, touch, or hear. And yet they there's sort of a relationship with them too. But then you talk about a relationship with Jesus Christ. What's the difference between what you're... You've talked about, about religion and rejecting it and relationship with Jesus Christ. What, well, that's is the that most, the same? That's the most awesome part about life is that, um, the Bible says in Matthew 16, 26 that what would it profit me to gain the whole world yet forfeit my soul? Um, yeah. The cosmos itself, the universe itself, is made up about of a couple hundred bits of information you could run the universe. It's mostly gas. Um, a simple bacteria takes about millions of, back, of millions of bits of information to run that's on your skin. Uh, it takes billions of bits of information to run this thing that we're, that we're riding around in, which is basically the same 17 elements that make up dirt. Um, our bodies, but there's something inside of us um, that God says is more precious than anything in the world, and that's the soul. 
And he teaches us in the word that we're not good enough to get to heaven. Romans 3.10 says that we are not righteous enough to get to heaven. Uh, Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. But the simplest of scriptures, John 3.16, said God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So God knew that we couldn't get to heaven because we're not holy. God sent his son who was already in existence from the beginning of whenever, which God, there's no beginning to God, but uh, Jesus came into the world because in order to save us, he had to become a redeemer for us. And um, he died on the cross and he rose again. Okay, what's that got to do with me? I mean, some dude thousands of years ago that well, says he's God, well, I, you and I both believe he yes. is. Uh, I'm being the devil's advocate here just a bit. That's fine. Uh, here you are, a very religious person, raised in a Lutheran church, being an acolyte and a young preacher and hungry to know the Lord and yet not finding it in the direction of your parents because they got tired of it and quit and said, okay, I run enough points, I'm done. And yet, you kept looking and looking, and God put within your heart a hunger, a drive to satisfy your creativity, to be an artist, and through that whole thing, you have been, and still are. I can bear witness to some of that, seeing some of your artistry, having gotten to know you a bit, and yet uh, you're saying that this is about a relationship with him. Uh, so, in my own personal testimony, there was uh, these three girls. Mm-hmm. And I was at work, and they would sit there, and they would talk at lunchtime. And one was named Paquita, one was named Dominant, one was named Amy. Mm-hmm. And that day I was sitting there, and this was six months before I got saved. I was sitting there, and there were all these conversations going around around me. It's uh, It was a Monday morning, and you had people over here talking about their party that they went to and the great things that happened. You had someone over here that was talking about the Eagles game and how um, how the football game was. And then right behind me were these three girls, and they were talking about Jesus and mm-hmm. how they Jesus does all these great things for them and how much they love Jesus and how their relationship with Jesus is so great. And I'm just thinking in my head, I'm like, it's funny because all the conversations around me began to fade. I don't, it's something that you can't explain. Like, all I could hear was them. And I'm listening to them and I'm thinking in my head, I don't understand what they're doing. And, and every day they would sit there and they would talk about Christ. So one day I decided to sit with them. I said, could I come and I could, could I sit with you? And the neat part of that too was one of the girls um, worked on a unit with me and I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't saved at the time and I was very rude to her at one point and had her moved to another unit, um, in my unsaved state of, cause we were taught in, I was taught as an unsaved person is if you want to get up the ladder, you have to like step on people and you have to get, so this woman had no reason for me to sit down with her and, so I sat down with these three ladies and started asking them questions. And the first, the first thing, of course, was like, why is she letting me sit with her? Because I was so rude and mean to her. 
And as we sat there and talked, they would talk about how Jesus wants to be in your life and he wants to be, have a personal relationship with you and how he wants. And I was like, and I thought, these people are stupid. (laughs) (laughs) These people are foolish. God, the creator of all the universe who runs everything, he, why would he have time for me? You know, he wants to have time for me personally. I'm like, that's just ridiculous. So for six months, I sat with these women. And then, of course, um, one day, one of the women, Amy, she started wanting to invite me over to her house. And I was engaged at the time, actually in an adulterous relationship with a woman at the time, um, which the Bible specifically says is not is not right. And... So I was like, she kept inviting me over and I'm like, well, I can't go over her house because she's, you know, she's, cause she would, I, you know, I'm engaged and I had that set of moral beliefs that I couldn't go to a girl's house by myself. And so one night, um, I, I remember talking cause I was talking to God at the point, at that point, I wasn't calling him Lord yet. And I was reading the Bible at that point cause I was curious about what they were saying. And I remember praying that night and saying, if you really want me to go to this woman's house, Lord, then you've got to break off my relationship with my fiance. And I just threw it out there. I was like, okay. That isn't necessarily what you wanted. Was no, it, it was nothing off? that I wanted. It was just throwing out a challenge to God. And <laughs> of course that night, and like I said, our relationship was going really well and everything was going good. And she broke up with me on the phone that night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Coincidence, of course. Yeah, coincidence, yeah. of course. Right. So, no so the thought. next day, I'm like, I go to Amy, and I'm like, Amy, I was like, I'm willing to hear whatever you have to say. I'm willing to listen to whatever you want. So you so, took that as a direct answer to a God who directly heard you because he knew you, was interested in you, was tuned into you, and was... Uh, involved in the details of your particular life. Yes, and I've learned that over the years that God is about personal things, about personal about wanting to get personally involved individually in your life and that when you have a relationship with God it's just an amazing thing, but so I I went to that night my 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 best friend's house now Chuck. Um she invited me over to Philadelphia. And we were sitting in his basement. We were talking. He's an artist too, which Chuck was interesting. Yeah, both of us are artists, and that's we got along very well. We became best friends because we're interested in a lot of the same things, especially with Jesus. We both make tracks, and we both do different things. Um, but that night, she told me. They told me they showed me a bridge track actually, where it says on God's on the one side. Um, heaven's on the other and there, the fire of hell is in between. And I was like looking at that and then they show the cross and how Jesus made the way for us to get to heaven. And then they told me I have to be born again to go to heaven. And I was like, born again. And I got scared for a minute. I was like, you guys are those born againers, you know, those ones out on the soapboxes in the street screaming, you got to be born again. I said, I've been reading the Bible for six months and I know that that's not in the Bible. And they said, okay, we'll turn to John chapter three, verse three. So I'm like, okay. So it says you have to be born again to go to heaven. And I went <laughs> home that night. The funny part was I went home that night and I looked through every Bible I could find in the house thinking it was their Bible. And then I looked through every Bible in the house and every Bible said you had to be born again. So that night I didn't get saved. And the next night I went to a movie and I saw a movie called The Apostle with Robert Duvall. 
And there was a scene in the movie towards the end, and this guy goes up and he gets he gets saved. And I didn't know what it was. And I remember this was the first night, and this is what I said. I said, I don't know what that is. And I said, Lord, but I want that. Okay, what's the that that you were looking at? What do you mean by that? Well, the pastor had said, is there anyone who wants to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior? And this guy, he was crying. He he was He was sad. And as he's walking up, and they prayed this prayer together, and then he was changed there was something different about him and it was just a movie but then i went out to my car that night and i got saved in my car like i the holy spirit came on me and i began i hadn't cried for years i was so angry i was so mad and i just i asked jesus to come into my life i was like i i want you to be in my life, I want you to, I won't want those girls that they sit down and they talk about that every day at the table. And my life just totally changed and I was transformed and it was just totally different. And it's nothing that you can explain to someone and say, you know, well, this is what happened and this is what I experienced, but it's just something that takes place when that salvation happens it's like what wesley would say that your heart was strangely warmed and so you're talking about this something or the it or that as being the same thing that john talks about in in john 3 3 as being born again yes which the the bible's specific it says that the holy spirit he comes and he lives in you and you become a changed person which I know that I was changed because the next day I got in my car and I normally listen to certain angry music on the way. And I put in this one album in particular that I loved and I was listening to it. And when I turned it on that day and I was listening to it on the way to work, there was a grieving in my spirit instead of like fueling my anger and fueling my, my like, like I got excited and I needed that anger, that, that stuff to get to. And then I went back and I, I read the words and the band specific band was mocking God in the words. Mm -hmm. So, and I didn't know that because a lot of people, like a lot of people nowadays, they just listen to music and they don't look at the words. They just listen to it because they like the, the beat or they like the different things. So, um, and as I was listening to it, there was more of a difference. Then, like, other things changed, like certain belief systems that I had before I was saved. Um, I was a huge advocate for abortion. I was a huge advocate for certain uh, lifestyle choices that people make nowadays. And for some reason, there was someone inside of me saying that that's not right. And I didn't read the Bible on those things yet, but there was someone inside of me guiding me and directing me in a different way. Could I ask... Isn't that just another version of another spirit animal coming to be a part of you? No, because the Holy Spirit is totally different. Um, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, they're all three in one. And the Bible says that when Jesus was leaving to go to heaven, he says, I'm going to leave someone here who's going to rock your world. He didn't say it in that way, but that's basically what happens. And um and if you read in the book of Acts and you look, these men who were filled with the Holy Spirit, they did amazing things and their their lives were changed. Look, look at Peter. Peter was scared to death 
he denied Christ three times and then was hiding behind a door, locked door, waiting for the Romans to come get him. And then all of a sudden he was filled with the Spirit. And he went out and he spoke boldly and he did great things for the Lord, even uh, like, like even to the point where one day he was crucified for it. So, so there's someone inside of you that changes your whole life. And, and that's, Jesus inviting Jesus into your life, but then his Holy Spirit coming in and giving you that that strength to get through the day, which I, I need the Holy Spirit. I need his Holy Spirit every day, sometimes even three, four times a day. I need to ask for his filling. And even like sometimes when my wife wants me to wash the dishes, I need to ask for a <laughs> filling of his spirit because I don't want to do certain things. And he guides us and he gives us his spirit to direct us and to lead us. And as we read the word, he helps us to understand the word more. Um, he, it's, that's how I can explain it. Sounds much. like it's a pervasive thing. I'm, I, my question had to do with the difference between Jesus coming in as a spirit and a spirit animal that just kind of comes in and changes some things. It sounds like what you're talking about is a more pervasive thing that you mentioned. Your wife, washing dishes, uh, a relationship, what you enjoy, uh, things you know intellectually. Is there a part of your life that doesn't get affected by this? I mean, do you, do you still have what you first started out with as a religious uh, drive toward the religion and then the secular part of you or well for me personally with the testimony when it comes down to that it comes down to unconditional love um a spirit animal is not going to give you unconditional love they're going to give you physical things they're going to give you things that you possibly want but then they're going to try and destroy you at some point um because it's a demonic thing but the the whole point of that is that I was looking for unconditional love. That was the main reason I got saved. Um, I was looking for it in women. I was looking for it in, in friendships. I was looking for it in my family. And there's no one who can give me that unconditional love. Now, that doesn't make them bad. But there's someone who can give you unconditional love. And I finally met someone who, through all my faults, through the mess that I am, um, one of the things I tell my friends all the time is that I may be a mess, but I'm God's mess. <laughs> um, but so no matter who I was, he accepted me where I was at, who I was, and through that, he loved me unconditionally. Like, I can go talk to him. I can talk to my wife and she says, I talk too much. And there's periods of time where she's just like, well, you just, oh my gosh, I just need a break. And I'm like, okay, but I can go to Jesus. I can talk to him. And he doesn't get, he doesn't get upset or angry with me because I'm talking too much. You it's know, a pretty intimate thing. He knows you. He that's understands the, you. That's the main thing. It's an intimacy. It's an intimate thing. It's an intimate relationship. In fact, you used a word just now where you said he accepts you. I'm contrasting that with what you said a few minutes ago when you said, uh, talking about accepting him as your Lord and Savior. Um, I guess in a real intimate relationship, both of you have to accept each other. But what made you brand new isn't you accepting him, but him accepting you. That's a pretty powerful statement, Michael, where you said, I was really, when I come right down to it, really looking 
for love, unconditional love. You wanted to be accepted for who you are. Mm-hmm. You were looking for who you are. You were raised to be very religious, and you decided that was a counterfeit. So you looked for it in spiritual ways. Those were counterfeits. New age, crystals, energy, spirit animals. And so you tried creativity and everything else. Finally, you're describing something that's different, characteristically different from all the things, including the spirit animals. And I think the difference, if I'm understanding what you're saying, the difference is who it is that's accepting you because he's the one who made you. He knows, Michael. He knows you. And therefore, it's a matter of him, of you recognizing that he accepts you, not just you accepting him. Yeah, and, and a lot of people, they're spending their lives, they're looking for the right things. And ultimately, everyone's going to be mastered by something. Hmm, that's an interesting statement. You know, you're going to be mastered by something. You're either mastered by money, you're going to be mastered by um, maybe someone in your life. But the, the goal in life is to find the right master, the right lord, the right person. Because money, money's not going to fulfill you. Women are not going to fulfill you or men or, you know, relationships in general are not going to fulfill you. But Jesus Christ um, in a relationship with him is very fulfilling. How can you know, Michael, that that you aren't going to find something else even better and say, well, I tried that. Uh, that was a phase. And, well, maybe there's something better yet. It's funny. My mom, my mom and dad, when I first got saved, they thought it was going to be a phase. You know, they, oh, he's, because he, I, I was a phase person. I, I jumped from one thing to the next a lot of times. I I did everything in my life from, like I said, art, karate, country line dancing, whatever it may be, jumping from one thing to the next, trying to fulfill, find fulfillment in all those things. But ultimately, um, 17 years ago, I invited Christ into my life and asked him and he accepted me and it was awesome and Ultimately, he, he, they thought it was just going to be a phase. Oh, he's just going to be, he's going to be a Jesus freak for a while. He's going to be a Bible thumper for a while. And then eventually he's going to, it's going to fade out. And that relationship has never faded because God has been so good to me in this relationship over the past 17 years. I've seen amazing things take place over the past 17 years that I've been with him. I would rather go through life with him and have it be a miserable, existence than to ever give up on him and to live my life wealthy and rich and have whatever I want. It's, you know, a relationship with God is the greatest thing that you can have in this whole wide world with Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Yeah, I can see that in your life. You were talking earlier about, you just sort of mentioned it casually. I was in an adulterous relationship and I think, well, yeah, there's a lot of religious people that I know that do that. Uh, and yet, I know you well enough now uh, to know that that kind of stuff just isn't a part of your life now. So I know that there's something deeper than just a phase. It's something about who really you are completely way down deep within you. There's something just different. Um that's the kind of thing that I too have found. And that's why I was so excited at, at hearing and 
having other people hear your testimony about this because I found that same thing and I'm not as able as well as you to put it that way. And I like the way you have put it. You've mentioned other areas that be, kind of came and went in your life. But one of the things that was the solid thing that I keep hearing you coming back to is Scripture. How do you know that what you read in Scripture is true? You even said that, that the New Age people use Scripture, or Proverbs. And, uh, scripture isn't a feeling. Mm-hmm. Scripture, how do you know that Scripture is really right? Isn't that, and how do you refute the idea that it's just a book written thousands of years ago by old dudes who had their own ideas. And I always hear 12 men too. sitting around a campfire and yeah. they just decided to write a book. So um, I've seen the effects of scripture and what scripture does. And by scripture, we're talking about the Bible. Yeah, the Holy of course, Bible, yes, the, the Bible, the 66 the books of the Bible written by 46 authors over three continents and over thousands of years and never contradicts itself, that Bible, yes. Yeah, that Bible, <laughs> just, that's a whole bunch of statistics that nothing else from uh, any other literature can claim. I believe, I believe the effects of what the Bible can do and what I've seen um, as an evangelist uh, on the streets of South Street for years ministering to cults, um, in the Alzheimer's unit that I was in, uh, preaching a sermon, and six weeks later, a person coming up to me and speaking about that sermon who was in there, um, pro- going almost into their second stages of Alzheimer's disease. And, you know, you're not supposed to remember um, short-term. Your short-term memory goes bad when you have Alzheimer's. Your long-term memory stays. But for them to remember the scriptures and to remember the things that I was talking about weeks later, uh, to see the power of what scripture can do in someone's life um, when used effectively, because when you read it from a new age standpoint, you're just reading a proverb. But when you believe and have faith and stand with the Lord who's behind those scriptures, there's amazing power in what they can do to help people. Uh, witnessing on South Street, I would be talking to someone and I had read the scriptures, didn't even memorize them. And I would be talking to someone and they would be saying stuff to me. And all of a sudden a scripture would just come out of my mouth that I, I, I'm like, where'd that come from? Mm-hmm. You know, with God's spirit bringing to thought those scriptures that I had read about that I didn't even memorize or look at. And then them being dumbfounded. Um, from what they were saying or what they were, oh, I believe in this and I believe in that. And all of a sudden the scripture coming out, there's power in the word of God. And you're using the word of God in two senses. A little bit earlier, you said that the word of God was Jesus himself, a person, a man mm-hmm. who happens to be God. But in Revelation, it says that his name is the word of God, the spirit of prophecy, yeah. the spirit of prophecy. And you, now you're using the Word of God as something that was written down, and you're saying it, it kind of has a, a strange, it's almost mystical or magical in a New Age sense, but this is powerful and it's real. You're saying that it just kind of comes back to you. John 14 says that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have taught you. And what you've just explained is a good example 
of that scripture. So the scripture, once you get him, the word of God, the, the word scripture in you, because that's he is a part of you now, then it's a, does that mean that everything you do and say and think is automatically exactly what God wants? And how does that work? <laughs> uh, how is he using you through the word of God now in, in all that? Well, as, as you read the Word of God, you learn to um, apply those things to your life, and you learn to look at what the Bible says, and as you follow it, you apply it, you pray about it. Um, I use scriptures in my prayers. Uh, when I'm praying, I pray, for, I pray for people, and I use scripture in those prayers. Um, it's like as far as application, for example, as a pastor, I go to the hospital. It says in the Word that if you take... In James 3, if you take the oil and you put it on them, you pray over people, it can bring healing. The elders of the church will come and they lay hands on people. It can bring healing, and I've seen healing take place. So it's also um, not just a, a, a thing of power and a thing of using it to, to dumbfound someone or to bring people to an understanding of who he is, but it's also a way to live your life and to apply it to your life and to live that way. Um, so I've learned how to live through the Bible. And then as you pray and you surrender your life to God, he leads you and he helps you through what you've studied and what you've learned to apply those things and become more like him. The, the goal is to become more like him, the Bible says. So being born again doesn't just instantly automatic, automatically make you like him. You're talking about a process here. Now, the, the word says, though, that because you have Jesus inside of you, God looks at you from a different perspective. God sees you as being holy. God sees you as being perfect. God sees you as being fearfully and wonderfully made. God sees you as being his child, his, his royal priest, the Bible says. But that doesn't mean that you just become perfect and holy and you become all those things. That's how God looks at you. He sees you um, and loves you in a deep way. But the process is to become more like him. And that's what being Christ, a Christian is, being more Christ-like, becoming more like him. Michael, I'm wondering, is this possibly, and this is a real honest question, because I'm not trying to know the answer to this, is that possibly because when God looks at us, he sees us as we really are. It's not that he's looking through God-tinted glasses and he's idealizing us. Saying, oh, you're perfect. He's pretending we are when he knows we're not. And we look at ourselves, recognizing our headaches and our diarrhea and our sore joints and our grouchiness and everything else. And we think, well, I'm really not perfect at all. I'm kind of a mess, even though, as you said, I'm God's mess. Maybe he, I mean, which one of us is right? Is he right or are we right when he says he in how he sees us is it possible that you and i see ourselves as we're used to seeing us our painful stubborn lying defensive selfish mess and yet god says oh honey you are perfected okay now begin to see it from my perspective and live like it hmm. i'm wondering if I'm wondering who we are. Are we the 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 weak, uh, tempted, 
sinful creature that we always, or sometimes, feel like we are? Or are we really, what God says, a whole new person, born again, altogether a new creature? Or is it just something that we practice and learn little by little to become? Or is there, I mean, what's your perspective of? Uh, First off, there's repentance and faith. The, 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 the word is a, is, they're both a single article in the, in the language. Um, when you receive Christ, you know you've received him because there's a repentance that takes place. There's a turning away. Like I said earlier, mm-hmm. there are things that I was doing that I, I thought were right. And then February 23rd, I was doing those things. February 24th, I got saved. February 25th, I went to work. And I started to try to do those things. I started to go back and try to do my old life. And there was someone inside of me saying, no, you're not going to do it that way anymore. You need to do it this way. And then. So there really was a change. There it was wasn't a, just it was a, radical a subjective change. perception and you're going to work hard at trying to be different. There really was something to change. It was a radical change. And that's how I know that it was real because, like I said, there were things that I was doing. Like, I didn't want to be in an adulterous relationship anymore. Um, there was someone inside me saying that that wasn't right, you know, and after we broke up and did all that stuff and then I got saved, it was like I didn't want to go back and do that stuff again. It's like your want to's changed, not that you had to work at deciding to be good, which is where. That's the other thing, too, is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that you desire to do. Mm hmm something that you desire to become. You bec- you want to become more like the Lord and Savior, the King, the King that you follow. You want to be more like Him. You know, like you said, it doesn't make you perfect and holy. He looks down at us and He sees us as beautiful, perfect, and holy. But there's a process that we go through to get to that point, you know, to, and then someday we, when we die, <laughs> And we go before him, we stand with him, then, you know, we'll be forever radic, totally radically changed. But until then, he works with us and it's a process. There's many things that, that were very easy for me to give up. Uh, many things that were very, were a process for me to give up. It took me several years of surrendering them to God and then falling back on those things and then going back to him and giving them to him again. And so some of them were a difficult thing. Even even today, even over the past couple of weeks, the Lord's been showing me some very deep things uh, about my life that need to change and that I need to surrender to him. Um, I can, if you want me to be personal, I can be personal for a moment about those. Um, the Lord has been showing me a lot that we are, we tend to judge people very externally. That when we look at them, we look at them when we tend to look at someone and just judge them, not even thinking about that we're doing it. And the Lord showed me deep in my heart, and the word is krinos in the, in the Greek, that I have been looking at people lately and just judging them based upon external looking at what they're doing if they cut me off in traffic or they do something oh that person's horrible because they cut me off in traffic or so this is something that the lord's been working me with me with and then i through this process as i've been surrendering it to him he's been showing me where i do it (laughs) and i don't like it (laughs) (laughs) don't like to be shown you mean i don't like to be shown that i'm doing it but but i um 
but I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm learning to be more like him as he shows me that I'm actually praying about those things as he brings them up and shows me those things and um, becoming more like him, trying to become less looking at the speck in someone's eye while I have a log in my own eye, like the Bible says in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. So, But that's the whole thing. It's a process of becoming more like him. Maybe even it's a process of recognizing that he's already made you that way and you're beginning to try to fit into it and well, that's act true. like it. That's definitely true. Is that uh, Because you're already, he says, you have already been perfect. The forgiveness is already there when you're... When you're, when ah, you're there's a good point. Yeah. The forgiveness is already there. In other words, anything that, once you're born again, anything that you do, it doesn't okay it. It's not that God trivializes sin. But he says, now, now that the blood of Jesus Christ is applying to you, that's wiped away. Yeah, God already looks at you. The effects don't matter. As being what, who he, who he sees you as, but then it's a matter of us, you know, recognizing and, and coming along with him and seeing who we are, truly are in Christ. Mm-hmm. So that's a good way to put it. Who we truly are in Christ. Michael, one of the things that I have appreciated about you, that other people find kind of strange is that you aren't who everybody else thinks you ought to be. I'm seeing in you something that I kind of desire more and more from my own life is an authenticity. And, and I am so grateful for that. It's not that you're becoming more and more like God, who sometimes seems kind of strange to me, but you are becoming more real and you don't have to keep up any uh, uh, idea of being perfect or holy or whatever. You can just relax and be you. And that kind of bothers people. I've known people who know you who are a little bothered by the fact that you're perfectly comfortable uh, preaching in camouflage colors rather than a three-piece suit and tie. Mm-hmm. Or that your hair is a little longer than the bishop's hair, or <laughs> something like that. You're, yes, you're really I do have long are. hair, and you know that's <laughs> um, the the neatest part. I had, I had long hair before I got saved, and um, the best part about God is that one of the best parts. I should say, there's many facets and great things about God, but um, we were talking about all the gifts that God's given me. Um, the art, uh, mm-hmm. doing films, um, did Bible movies at one point. I was teaching kids Bible stuff. Um, all those things I did before I was saved. I was a musician, professional musician from 1986 to 1996. So you don't have to be saved to do all kinds of good, wonderful, astounding things. No, you don't. You can be a good person. You can do a ton of good things. You can, you could be a good person, do great things. And the problem, the, the issue was, was that I did a lot of bad things with my music. <laughs> I did a lot of bad things with my art. And the thing that I love so much about the Lord is that he took all the bad things that I did and all the gifts and everything that he gave me to use for his glory. And, um, now I'm using them for the kingdom. You know, it's just amazing. Like the art, the art background that the I kingdom, have. kingdom meaning. Christianity. Yeah, kingdom work. Yeah. Some for, of the people listening to this may not talk church. Yeah, well I'm, I'm talking Christianese right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, but but making tracks. Tracks are a um, 
a, a, a message that you would give to someone giving the gospel, uh, teaching them that they're not good enough to get to heaven, but that through Christ he, he, he um, saves us and that we can get to heaven through him. Now, but there's different creative ways of making, making tracks. So, so um, I've made tracks for Star Trek people. Um, I watched a movie called Trekkies. And I was very grieved in my spirit about these people. They worship. I mean, some of them are just doing it for fun, but some, they really worship Star Trek. So it grieved me when I watched this movie and I was like, well, what can I do to, to share that? So, um, my, my friend Chuck and I, we designed a track. Uh, it's a Star Trek communicator track. And when you open it up, you look at the screen, it says, where will your final frontier be? And then the whole gospel is given through what people would know as like from different Star Trek terms, like the Borg, gold press latinum is like the big thing. And for money wise, um, that God is greater. There's, and then halfway through the track, it was amazing. Um, I was praying for about an hour and a half. What can I, how can I talk about Jesus's love for people? What can I say about Jesus's love? And then all of a sudden, when I was praying, the Lord gave me, there was a movie called The Wrath of Khan years ago, mm-hmm. and Spock um, sacrificed his own life for the crew. And he said, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one before he died. And that's so what Jesus Christ did for us. You know, he sacrificed his life for the needs of us, the many. So, so using that was such a powerful thing. And then taking them to a Star Trek convention... And then sharing them with people as they're going into the Star Trek convention, giving out these communicator tracks. I got to give a communicator track to the guy who played Tom Paris, to the doctor who was on Voyager, the holographic doctor who was on Voyager, um, to be able to do those things. Um, but the creativity um, that I had and I was using for bad before I was saved, God taking it and using it for good in amazing ways. Like, that's just one example of that. He's obviously not done with you yet, because it's not just you. It's Christ in you. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's what Paul says is the whole mystery of the faith, Christ in you. Mm -hmm. And I see him in you, Michael, and I'm excited at other people hearing about this, saying, wow. I've had those kinds of experiences too. I wonder if God could use me like he's using Michael. I've lived a lot longer than you, and yet you've done a whole lot of things that I could hardly even think and dream about doing. And there's a lot of people who God wants to use. Is there anything you can tell them about how to negotiate this deal with God? Is it? Them accepting him? Is it him accepting them? What do they need to do to really... Can you give us a, just a, a, a quick idea he's, of how they can get into this Christianity stuff? He's already accepted them. It's just a matter of them accepting him, too. You know, they need to realize... Um, you know, God's already looked at us. We're already forgiven. He already looks at us in a great way like that. But then it's a matter of us accepting that, accepting his son. You know, that's why we get saved. That's the only reason. Jesus is the only way. The Bible says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father but through me. That's all in the singular emphatic. That's the only way that you can get to heaven. He's not just one of the ways, sort of the truth, some of the truth, and he'll give you part of the life. 
He says he's the way. He says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that sounds a, no one can go to the Father except through him. Which that is, sounds a little narrow-minded. Um, is it? People would say that. It's a little exclusive. People kind would say like, it's offensive. I've heard it's offensive. I heard it's bigoted. Kind of like two plus five is seven. That sounds a little narrow-minded. But what if, if I wanted a, to be 19? But if they have a problem with it, they have a problem with Jesus because Jesus many places says that. He says, I am the Father, our one. He says, I am the door. And if you try to go in through any way that you're not, you're not going to be able to go through that, that you're just a thief trying to get in. That he is the only way to get to heaven. He says that specifically. And the reason I believe you, Michael, when you say that, is that I know you well enough to know that you really have tried some other ways that other people have valued and think might work. And you've tried it and have seen it doesn't work. Michael, the reason that makes me excited is that I too have tried that. And I have found exactly what you're saying. And it's this, it's not that you and I might agree theologically on everything. I don't know. We probably do, but maybe not. And I'm not even sure that's what's important. But we have found the same person. He's not an it. He's not a philosophy. He's not a thing or an idea. He's a he. He's a real person who loves you and me, and he loves the person that we're talking to right now. Mm. And so if they can enter into that relationship, and he invites them to. In fact, can... Can you and I just pray together for a minute? Yes. For whoever's listening to this, let me start. Father, I, I I thank you for your spirit that I recognize in my brother Michael right now. You took him through a lot of stuff, and he had a lot of interesting, fun, miserable, significant times. And yet, when you finally became the part of his life that really directed and redirected it, you made that significant, decisive permanent. So I pray, Father, that just as you have done that with Michael, as you've done that with me, that you would do that right now with the person who's really searching and has all kinds of alternatives, and yet things aren't going well. I pray right now that you would come to be a part of that person who's listening to us right now, and that as they invite you to be Lord, Master, Ruler, and as they submit to you, whether it's a man or a woman or a child or a young person or, or an older person, I pray that that person right now, as they're listening to our voice, would open their life to receiving a relationship that you've already paid for by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, on the cross. I thank you now that you're true to your word. That you really honestly will, because you said that whoever invites me, I'll come into them, and they with me will be friends, and it'll be a, this thing that Michael's talking about. Praise you, Lord, for what Thank you're you, about Jesus. to do in this person that's listening. In the mighty name of the omnipotent Jesus, we pray. Thank you for listening today. I hope you were truly blessed. If you want more information about Testify It, please visit us at testifyit.com. That is T-E-S-T-I-F-Y-I-T.com. Do you have a testimony to share? We would love to hear from you. Just go to testifyit.com and fill out the testimony form. You can find it at the bottom of any page on the site. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and truly want one, call out to him today. 
Decide to give over your life, surrendering it to Him, and choose to follow Him. He has already paid the price for your sins with His death on the cross. He was raised on the third day and will give you everlasting life with Him. You will be born again, and He will place His Holy Spirit within you. Until next time, remember you are loved by God and He deeply desires a relationship with you.